Good to see you all today. Um, welcome to church. I'm Ruth and I'm one of the pastors here. If I haven't uh, met you yet or you're new or visiting today, it's uh, good to be here. And we've, we're in uh, part three of a three-part sermon series called Reassembly Required, um, a guide to repairing broken relationships. And uh, what we've tried to do is give you a little bit of a guide, one, on the importance of repairing a broken relationship and two, some strategies that we think are worth adopting in how you go about repairing a broken relationship. And we've acknowledged all the way along that um, we don't necessarily find this easy to do. Uh, it's not something that's often taught or even uh, modelled very well in our families. And so it's not a skill we automatically have and it's something that we actually need to learn and put it into practice um, and then we also acknowledge too that not every um, reconciliation in relationships is um, not always possible in all relationships um, and sometimes it's unwise and unsafe um, to do so. But what we were talking about is not having any regrets when it comes to our relationship because uh, we actually don't hold all the parts when it comes to repairing relationships. It often is two parties involved. All we do have control over is ourselves. Um, so we had, we've actually got four decisions that we were wanting to highlight. We've highlighted two of them already and then two we will finish off today. And the first decision was the choice to, I will get back to, not back at, when it comes to our relationships. I will commit to not counting your sins against you. Um, the point of the gospel is that God took away the main obstacle of our sin before we even knew about that. While we were sinners, he died for us and he chose to get back to us, not back at us. And if we're going to be Jesus' followers, then he asks us to do the same. And then last week, we looked at decision two. So I will own my slice of the blame pie. Reassembly begins with a look in the mirror and it's our choice to remove the plank in our eye so that we can see clearly the speck in someone else's eye. If I look at myself first, then I'm in a better place to see and reconcile um, things with other people and see things more clearly. So today we're going to look at decision three and decision four, which are quite closely tied together. Um, but let me just set this up with a story that I came across this week. So our kids have got me in, into this book. It's called The Resilience Project, um, Finding Happiness Through Gratitude, Empathy and Mindfulness. And the um, man that's written this book, Hugh Van Cullenberg, he, uh, he has a podcast um, uh, called The Imperfects where he interviews people about um, their vulnerability and, and life. And then this week, he was also on Australian Story on Monday night, which I happened to to watch. And he's got a really interesting story. He came from a very happy family. Um, life was very good. It was summers was playing cricket in the backyard. Winter it was playing footy. He had uh, siblings. Uh, and life was good and life was happy in his family. Um, until his younger sister went through a journey of anorexia nervosa, which then impacted the whole family. And he was kind of very naive about this situation and uh, was in an era where mental health wasn't talked about and certainly not in their family and he thought the problem could just as easily be fixed if she would just eat. 
And um, it wasn't until she was hospitalised that he realised it was actually beyond her ability um, to actually fix herself. And he said that happiness left their family when they went through that crisis with his sister. It was no longer um, a happy place and there was tension and friction and sadness and And from then on, he had this burning ambition to bring happiness and build resilience to the lives of kids and teenagers so that no other family would have to go through what he went through in his family. And so the best way he thought about doing that was to become a primary school teacher, which he did, and he became a very good primary school teacher and he was very good at engaging kids and telling stories. Um, And then he went to India to work in a a little school um, very poor, and what he realised was that these kids who had nothing were thankful for the littlest things, including shoes and shoelaces. Um, And he saw these kids were happy um, despite what was going on in in their life. So he made it his mission to take that story, plus the story of his sister, and turn that into... um, He he then went on the road. Uh, He now does uh, teaching in schools and uh, he's obviously written the book and he's doing a podcast. So he's speaking about this this journey and making a lives in the difference of people. But here's the thing that came out in the Australian story. He had an unreconciled relationship with his sister. And for all the talking he did with his sister... Uh, about his sister and their story, he did very little talking with his sister. And she said he could spend thousands of hours talking to thousands of people but not have the ability to talk to me. And uh, here's the reason why. When they were younger, he was about six and his sister was two and a half. They were playing in their grandparents' front yard And a stranger, a strange man, came into the front yard and took his sister around the side of the house and assaulted her. And um, they had both... uh, uh, So this traumatic incident had remained dormant in their memories until adulthood. And then when his sister finally shared the memory with the family, Hugh immediately uh, recollected the... um, the event and he remembered it happened and became so burned and overwhelmed with guilt and shame because he didn't wasn't able to protect his sister. I mean, he was only six and he didn't know what the man was there for or what, what he was doing. But as an adult, he felt burdened by that and it caused a rift between him and his sister. That was until he wanted to write a book and he needed to check the details with her and whether she was okay for, for him to share it. So I just want you to hold that story there. Let's just park that story and we'll get back to it. But I now want to tell you a different story. And this comes from uh, some Bible verses in Matthew 23. And the story's tied to the first... It's tied to first century Judean culture. So we might not get it at first because it's quite uh, foreign to us. Um, So we need to put ourselves into the story. So... It starts off, when Jesus saw his ministry drawing huge crowds, he climbed a hillside. And those who were apprenticed to him, the committed, climbed with him. Arriving at a quiet place, he sat down and taught his companions. And so Jesus goes through several teaching moments. 
Um, and he, this is where he talks about the Beatitudes, so the blessed are um, verses that we're quite familiar with. And he teaches about salt and light and murder and adultery and divorce and loving your, your enemies. And then in the middle of that teaching, he comes to these verses. Therefore, if you have an offering, uh, if you are offering a gift at the altar, and there you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them, and then come and offer your gift. Now, at first, this might not mean much to us, because in our context, we, we, can't, we don't come to a temple as such, and we don't bring gifts to an altar. Um, so you need to kind of imagine you're taking a trip to the temple. Now, Jesus, where Jesus was speaking these, this uh, Sermon on the Mount and these kind of verses, he was speaking that in, in Galilee, which is in the north of Israel. And so when he says, take your, if you're taking your gift to the altar, he's talking about the temple in Jerusalem, which is 125 kilometres away. So what he's saying is, it's... It's a long walk, so if you put yourself in the story, it's going to be a long walk. It's going to take a couple of days. You're probably going to have to take time off work. You might have the kids in tow and it's hot and it's a long journey and everyone's cranky. And Then you get to the temple and the line's long and it's busy and chaotic because uh, everybody's bringing all kinds of animals. Can you imagine everyone with all of their animals lining up for the, for the temple? Um, and then the gift you're bringing is not, a, it's not a, an offering for sin where you need to ask for forgiveness. In these verses, the gift that's being offered is from someone who's grateful that God's answered prayer or um, they're thankful that something has worked out for them. And they actually just want to go to the temple and make an offering um, in thanks to God. It's a voluntary sacrifice expressing devotion and gratitude to God. And it symbolised a desire to draw near to God. So you're standing in line and you're ready to, to um, offer your gratitude to God. And you finally got there. And then Jesus says, and then you remember that your brother or sister has something against you. And he doesn't give any details. And he doesn't say whose fault it is. The point is that things aren't good and there's unresolved conflict and it seems like the sort of thing that you could just justify away and maybe think, it's not that much of a problem, and if I just go and put my offering on the altar, then I'll sort that out later. But Jesus says, leave your gift in front of the altar. And uh, I know what I'd be thinking, oh, man, that's really inconvenient, you know. <laughs> I just, I kind of look and I'm like five from the front and I'm, I'm nearly there and I've taken time off work and I can't exactly get someone to save my place and the kids are cranky and hungry and, and can I just go in and do this and then I'll fix the relationship stuff later. And Jesus says, you need to leave your gift. And then, of course, the reality is I've probably got an animal with me and if I leave the animal, it's likely to like wander off and would it even be here when I get back? So the point is that Jesus says first, as in of first importance and the most important thing you can do in this situation is go and be reconciled with them. And maybe you might even be game to ask, well, Jesus, does that mean you don't want me to put you first? Shouldn't I put you first and then, you know, others um, next? 
And Jesus is saying, this is how you put me first. You put me first by reconciling with other people. You put the invisible God first by reconciling with your visible brother, sister, neighbour or enemy. And if you want to get right with God, then you need to get right with the people that God loves. And then you come and offer your gift at the altar. So can we just forgive in our heads and make sure everything's all right in our heads? Isn't that enough? And Jesus says, not if you're going to be my follower, it's not enough. Forgiveness is a step towards reconciliation, but we have the responsibility to reconcile with other people. So let me take you back to Hugh Van Cullenberg's story. He could not move forward with his book and his continued talks about the... um, what he wanted to teach people about happiness and gratitude and resilience without talking to his sister. He'd spent thousands of hours talking about the impact of this journey in his family and his desire to help others that he'd overlooked the relationship that should have been most important. And his sister had a vague two-and-a-half-year-old memory of what had happened, but the only person that could collaborate her story was her brother, And for 10 years, he withheld that information um, when he remembered that event because he was too scared to talk with her about it. He thought, if she thought that I didn't remember, then perhaps that would make him less responsible for protecting her. But withholding what he knew caused the relationship to fracture with her. And so finally, after therapy and knowing he had to let go and take a step forward... Uh, He reconciled his relationship with her and they were able to talk about their childhood and the impact that that had had on her mental health. And he says this in the Australian story. He says, It seemed like a sad irony that I had started this whole thing inspired by my sister's journey and yet had the power to help my sister and for 10 years I did not do it because of deep shame that I had for not protecting her. And the fact that he had indeed remembered in that front yard and validated her memory, that was the key that unlocked healing for the both of them to move forward. And here's what they said right at the end of that episode. He said of her, she taught me about resilience absolutely, but more than that, she has taught me about forgiveness. And she said of him, forgiveness is one thing, But getting to have the life you want with your brother, that is an easy choice. I think what she was saying is that forgiveness is good, but reconciliation is so much better. We can't forgive in our heads and think that that's enough. And we can't expect to be right with God if we're not right with each other. And we can't expect to approach God and focus on our vertical relationship with God if we don't look at our horizontal relationships with other people. And Hugh could not go ahead and speak and write about his journey um, with any authenticity if he hadn't reconciled that relationship with his sister. He had to be willing to make the first move, which brings us to decision three in reassembling relationships. I will make the first move regardless of who moved away first. Maybe you know there's a relationship that has distance in it and there's tension. 
Or maybe there isn't tension, but you just know there's just topics that you, d you just don't talk about. That, that's a no-go zone. Um, and maybe you moved and created the distance, or maybe they did, or maybe it's got to the point you can't remember who moved, um, but you just know there's this, this distance between you. The point is that we need to decide that we will make the first move. And if nothing appears to change or improve as a result, then we need to make decision number four. I will keep the door open and the welcome mat out. And we're not talking about reconciling with anyone that's unsafe, either physically or emotionally, but keeping the door open and the welcome mat out is about reducing your regret. And it will also keep you healthy uh, and ensure that no bitterness is going to build up. Because once we close the door and we take the welcome mat in, that's when we start holding on to the hurt and we get angst and we get frustrated and we get angry and then we take that into other relationships. Um, so we, we need to decide we'll keep the welcome mat out and the door open. So where does that leave us as we finish this series? I think it's important to note that reconciliation is two things. It's a process, it's something that we have to do, but it's also a posture. It's something we are and it's an attitude inside of us. And I like looking up words in the dictionary and because we've talked a lot about rec reconciliation, I thought, oh, I'll look up reconciliation in the, in the dictionary. So here's what Encyclopedia Britannica tells us. Reconciliation, it defines reconciliation as the act of causing two people or groups to become friendly again after an argument or a disagreement. And if we go to John 3.16, we know John 3.16, most of us very well, because we would count it as the, probably the most famous verse in the Bible, and we could probably recite it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. But here's what verse 17 says, which is right after it. God didn't go to all the trouble of sending his son merely to point an accusing finger to get back at us, telling the world how bad it is. He came to help and to put the world right again, to get back to us. And the point is, it wasn't just for our salvation. It was in order to build a different kingdom. And 2 Corinthians 5.18 says these words, All this from God, who reconciled us to himself through through Christ, so causing God to become friendly with us again and give us the assignment of reconciliation for us to become friendly again with others. Or if you read that verse in the message, it reads like this. All this comes from God who settled the relationship between us and him and then called us to settle our relationship with each other. God put the world square with himself through Jesus, giving the world a fresh start by offering forgiveness of sins. And God has given us the task of telling everyone what he is doing. We're Christ's representatives. God used us to persuade men and women to drop their differences and enter into God's work of making things right between them. 
Become friends with God. He's already a friend with you. We live in a cancel culture. If you're a young adult or under, I don't know, 35. (laughs) Uh, We live in a cancel culture. If I don't like what you say or what you've done, then I'll just cancel you. I'll unfriend you, I'll unfollow you, or worse still, I'll block you. Um, But Jesus is asking us to live differently. Don't cancel people in your life or unfollow them or unfriend them or block them. Get back to them. And how can we carry the message of reconciliation if we don't reconcile our relationships with other people? So what are we going to do? Let's just recap on the four things that we're going to do. If you can read them. Sorry, that's probably a bit small. So what are we going to do? We're going to get back to and not back at. We're going to own our piece of the blame pie. We will make the first move regardless of who moved away first. And we'll keep the door open and the welcome mat out. Because it's all about no regrets. No regrets with God vertically, no regrets with each other horizontally. Let me just pray. God, we thank you for the words in your word. We thank you that you didn't come just to save us. You you came to establish a new kingdom and you use us to build this kingdom. And it's not a kingdom of cancelling culture and unfriending people and blocking people. It's about getting back to relationships. It's because you want us to have good relationships with each other and good relationships with you because that's the way you created the world to work. And you invite us to do the same. And it's hard. It's hard to reconcile with people when we're hurt. Um, It takes humility and it takes courage. So we just pray that you'll convict us and then you'll help us to uh, step out with courage um, to reconcile the relationships of the people that we do life with. In Jesus' name, amen.